Welcome to the BreastCancer.org podcast, the podcast that brings you the latest information on breast cancer research, treatments, side effects, and survivorship issues through expert interviews, as well as personal stories from people affected by breast cancer. Here's your host, BreastCancer.org Senior Editor, Jamie DiPolo. Dr. Frank Delacroix, or Dr. D, as he has come to be known, is the founding partner of the Center for Restorative Breast Surgery and St. Charles Surgical Hospital in New Orleans. Board certified in plastic surgery, Dr. D has performed thousands of reconstructive procedures, both for women diagnosed with breast cancer and women at high risk of the disease who choose to have prophylactic breast removal. He is a fellow of the American College of Surgeons and a member of numerous professional societies, including the American Society of Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery, the American Society for Reconstructive Microsurgery, and the World Society for Reconstructive Microsurgery. He also has been named one of the best doctors in America. Today, he joins us to talk about numbness after breast reconstruction and the resensation procedure that claims to repair nerves during reconstruction. Dr. D, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jamie. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, it's good to talk to you again. Now, I know that most women have some areas of numbness after breast reconstruction. So can you help us understand why this happens? Sure. Uh, as you mentioned, the central topic of our conversation is about numbness and the regaining or losing of sensation after mastectomy and how that relates to reconstruction. Um, in some ways, what's old is new again, and uh, we've seen a lot of activity on the internet and uh, different uh, things, Facebook pages and so forth. So this is an area where there's a lot of activity, and so I think it's a great opportunity to open the dialogue. So some of the foundational points of that, as you asked, are why do women have uh, numbness uh, after mastectomy or within and around the time frame they're having reconstruction. And it, it has to do with the fact that the sensory nerves to the breast skin and the uh, nipple and areola run through the breast tissue. And so when the breast tissue is removed, many of the nerves that supply the overlying skin and nipple are cut or removed as well. And so it's a byproduct of our innate anatomy and the impact of mastectomy uh, on those nerve fibers in the periphery of the breast. Okay, now I know there are two main types of reconstruction. There's reconstruction with an implant and reconstruction using a woman's own tissue. So could you talk about both of those and how the different types of reconstruction may affect numbness, maybe I'm not sure if, if either type affects how long numbness lasts or, or where numbness is, if you could kind of explain that for us. Right. So, so going back to what we're focusing on, uh, that being feeling in the breast after mastectomy, there's been some question of what we mean when we say that. And, uh, you know, today we're, we're not talking about um, the way the breast feels texturally uh, with a reconstruction, whether it's soft or hard or somewhere in between. What we're talking about now is feeling, meaning touch, touch sensation, um, pressure, temperature, erotic sensation, pain. The first things to get your arms around when you're trying to discriminate the types of reconstruction and related to this topic um, are, are how does mastectomy 
affect it. We touched a little bit on the fact that the nerves are often transected, but we have to do a little bit of housekeeping for our listeners uh, relative to terminology before we move into the uh, reconstruction side of it itself. And those are the fundamental terms related to mastectomy because a big part of the punchline of this whole discussion is dependent on uh, your audience having a, a handle on that that difference. And what I'm talking about are our immediate and delayed reconstruction and uh, how that impacts the um, style of mastectomy and what, what is removed and what's not during the mastectomy. So immediate and delayed reconstruction are very different. Immediate reconstruction means we make a new breast with an implant or your own natural tissue on the day that the mastectomy happens. And delayed means we do it down the line at some point. And each of those choices affects our next set of words, which are skin sparing and nipple sparing mastectomy. The reason for that difference is because immediate reconstruction usually means you get to keep your own breast skin, a la skin sparing mastectomy, and often nowadays to keep your whole outer breast skin envelope, including the nipple, and that's called nipple sparing mastectomy. Uh, doing reconstruction down the line, a la delayed reconstruction, usually means cutting off most or all of your own breast skin and the nipple along with it, and rebuilding the whole thing later, including adding a new large patch of skin when we're doing natural tissue reconstruction uh, to replace that that was cut away. So the fundamental differences of immediate versus delayed reconstruction impact whether or whether or not we're preserving the natural outer skin layer. That in turn affects our sensation potential. So the differences sort of become obvious and intuitive right away when you think about it. If we keep your own skin and the surgeon doing the mastectomy handles it gently and works to preserve most of the nerves along the outer edges, sensation will likely return to some, or even in some cases, a great degree without doing anything else. If the skin is thinned aggressively, the nerves remaining under the skin can be obliterated. And despite preserving that outer shell or pillowcase envelope of skin, we'd expect that patient to have a harder time regaining sensation. If we take all the breast skin off on day one and come back to do a delayed reconstruction, then we'll be replacing all of that skin that's brought in with the new tissue uh, or stretching it with an expander if we're doing a delayed expander reconstruction. In either case, we're at a disadvantage from the loss of that original skin envelope and its remaining nerves. I talked a little bit about how nerves travel through breast tissue, but there are also branch, branches that travel in the fat just underneath the skin that can migrate through the skin as the recovery continues, and in some cases, even give back nipple sensation to women who've had nipple sparing mastectomy. It sounds like whether you have delayed or immediate reconstruction makes, a, as you said, a, a pretty big difference in the possibility of sensation coming back in the breast area. Could you, if it's not too far off the topic, if you could talk a little bit about why someone might not be a good candidate for immediate reconstruction, like what are the, what are the big reasons for choosing one or the other? Sure. Uh, excellent question. So 
why would someone have delayed reconstruction when there may be an opportunity for immediate reconstruction? Well, if there's not an opportunity for immediate reconstruction because of significantly advanced disease or the recommendation of your oncology team to avoid that, whether it may be because radiation is required or some other uh, uh, impediment to preserving the outer envelope, perhaps cancer is involving a large portion of the skin or otherwise, then someone might not be a great candidate for immediate reconstruction. The good news is that that's relatively rare in our era of early detection. And so most women by default are candidates for immediate reconstruction. Now, those that are unsure may, may not be ready to commit to mm -hmm. reconstruction right away. And that's totally fair as well, as long as they understand the implications that go along with that. And someone who doesn't choose immediate reconstruction then they would be navigating through the same pathway as I described with delayed reconstruction, where you lose some opportunity for look and some sensory recovery, but we can still do a nice job with flaps and things of that sort, as, as we discussed before. Okay. Okay, great. Thank you. So if, if you want to continue on now, it, it sounds like, as, as you said, with immediate reconstruction, there is more opportunity for sensation to return and that's because more of the skin and nerves are preserved, but are there any other reasons for that? Uh, well, with, with immediate reconstruction particularly, and we'll get into this as we discuss the uh, different kinds of, of uh, reconstruction, the two main types, with immediate reconstruction, particularly when we are applying natural living tissue to that envelope, that can also be a source of stimulation of nerve regrowth in a completely spontaneous way, because we know that fat and natural tissue brought in carries uh, obviously increased oxygen and all the good things that go with that and nutrients and so forth. But there are also other neurotrophic elements like adipose derived stem cells and neuroendocrine elements that come with the fat. And that's where a lot of the interests uh, uh, was started relative to stem cells and their own independent potential, which is a completely separate topic. But immediate reconstruction not only gives you the opportunity to preserve the neural structure of your own skin envelope, but if we're doing immediate reconstruction, it gives us the opportunity to boost that with the flap tissue, whether or whether or not we're doing what we'll talk about later relative to reconstructing nerves. So there are some benefits on both sides of the coin. Okay, so let I guess now then let's talk about the two main types of reconstruction, whether it's going to be implant or with a person's own tissue and how that plays into everything. Because it sounds like to me, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that even if you had immediate reconstruction with an implant, immediate reconstruction with your own tissue may offer more advantages for sensation return. Is that correct or no? Short answer is yes. Okay. So the, ne the, the, next, the next foundational building blocks for your audience, and I encourage them to rewind this as many times as it takes to get their <laughs> ar arms around it. The next foundational set of concepts uh, are, are those differences between natural tissue reconstruction and implant reconstruction and what that brings to the party. 
natural tissue reconstruction, be it a deep flap, a gap flap, a pap, a, any kind of tissue transplant, um, those, those patients have been shown repeatedly in the literature to regain more sensation than do those who have implant reconstructions. There, there are at least six different publications over the last 25 years that show that, and it remains true today. Interestingly, it happens spontaneously in these studies that have looked at it, and over time, because nerves grow very slowly as they heal. The uh, usual number quoted is a millimeter a day. So that happens on its own, and often to a large and sometimes surprising degree, even in women with big skin patches having a delayed reconstruction, which goes against all of what you think would happen. Um, this process has been shown to start in the first year and progresses for more than three years, as demonstrated by Shaw and his colleagues in 1995 and others after that. Implants perform less well with respect to leaving the breast numb because they're plastic and they don't bring nourishment and they don't have their own internal nerves like flaps do. So the chance of nerve regrowth and spontaneous return of sensation is lesser. And delayed implant reconstructions is probably the worst case because the skin has to be stretched and expanded, putting pressure and stress on all the surrounding tissues as well. This all seems in those cases to hinder the kind, quality, and extent of sensory return that we see in flap-based reconstructions. Okay, I, I am curious, is one particular flap, ha has it been shown to perhaps offer better return of sensation than another, or is it that pretty much all types of flap reconstructions are better than implants? It's mostly been studied in the abdominal-based flaps. Okay. There is one report. There is one report that includes gap flaps, and in that very small series, it actually showed that the gap flaps had a little bit better spontaneous return. But we have to frame everything we're going to talk about today relative to what we have in the literature. And most of the studies are small, mm -hmm. and most of them were controlled in sort of uh, not uniform ways. So there's a lot of science out there, but super high quality science, we really don't have a lot of. Most of it's anecdotal and small series. Okay, okay, thank you. So I guess moving forward, do we know why? I mean, I know you said the flaps bring more nourishment and they have their own blood supply and things like that. But even, I guess I've seen, even in some women who have flat procedures, while they may be more likely to return sensation, it seems like the time that sensation returns is different for every woman and can vary widely. And do we know why that is? Uh, we don't have a, a very clear handle on it. It's likely related to how the mastectomy was done again whether okay. the tissues were very, very thin, whether the field of dissection extended out widely beyond the, what we call intercostal nerves that surround the perimeter of the breast. Um, it, it probably relates to the quality of the reconstruction and how much of their own skin was preserved and how much was removed. Um, and then there may be some elements with their own individual makeup that affect it, whether they have comorbidities like uh, smoking or diabetes or other things that impair 
healing and nerve function, particularly relative to diabetes. Um, and we know that uh, uh, radiation can, can impact the quality of sensory return. I know we'll talk about that a little bit more later. Um, so there are multiple factors, but we can't single out a one single thing that gives us a, a great chance or a lesser chance other than we, we know that preserving your own breast skin envelope and using a natural tissue reconstruction, those two things combined together give us our best opportunity, as has been shown in all these previous studies over the many, many years. Okay, thank you. Now, I know you have mentioned a couple times that radiation can increase the risk for loss of sensation or for sensation taking longer to come back after mastectomy and reconstruction. Are there other things that increase that risk? Uh, like, for example, chemotherapy, does that do anything? Or are there other treatments that may affect it? We know that chemotherapy, uh, certain drugs in the chemotherapeutic arsenal have a very significant effect on nerve function. Uh, people can develop numbness in their hands and fingers and things of that sort, as you, as you well know. That issue has not been studied to any significant degree in our reconstructive literature. So we don't know that someone who uh, had cisplatin then goes on to have a 25% chance uh, of, of, of increased sensation or some other therapeutic uh, modality in that regard. Short answer there is that we don't know, but in, intuition would say that the drugs that have been known to have uh, uh, neural side effects, in all likelihood, that would parlay into a regenerating nerve in a surgical field as well, in the breast in this case. Okay. Okay. So let's kind of talk about the other side. Are there things that a woman can do to help reconstruction return faster. I know you mentioned smoking, so obviously stopping smoking would be one thing, um, but I kind of want to use that to kind of uh, segue into this uh, resensation technique that says it can restore sensation after mastectomy. So I'm wondering if there are things a, a person can do, and, and then if you could kind of talk about this technique and what it actually is. The primary thing that someone can do in the early period is basically what we talked about earlier, and that is have a very clear handle on what type of mastectomy is being contemplated for them and why. Uh, a very nice article out of Johns Hopkins did some elegant uh, work on um, the, the, the return of sensation in the breast after nipple sparing mastectomy. And in some of their patients, they even had erogenous sensation return. So early choices are the most impactful. There's no vitamin regimen, there's no exercise, there's no massage or anything like that. No hyperbaric chamber treatment or anything of that sort after surgery that would enhance the recovery. It's mostly based on the steps that are taken during the surgical um, journey, if you will. Okay. And I know regarding the resensation procedure, I know you have some concerns about it uh, because you've done quite a bit of research on this topic. So if, if you could talk a little bit about that, you know, explain what it is and, and talk about your concerns. Sure. So we'll get into the substance of the, of the conversation relative to that. Um, we're, we're a little bit behind 
um, because the whole thing now has been branded and packaged up and big marketing budgets have been put behind it and so forth. The, the resensation product is basically a nerve graft uh, collected from cadavers, from dead donors, uh, and processed to render it free of cellular material so that your body doesn't generate an, an immune response to it and reject it. It's been widely available and on the market since 2007, uh, mostly used in hand and arm surgeries where a lot of uh, neural repair is done. Um, with respect to breast care, it's only picked up traction really over the last three years or so. The uh, material, once it's uh, harvested, packaged, processed, and collected, is then sold to hospitals uh, for use in the operating room. Uh, unpackaged, uh, it, it looks like a wet noodle, <laughs> and it comes in, in different lengths. And, and so that's the, the summation of what it is. Now, what is it for? How does that play into breast reconstruction? Well, in the field of mastectomy, there are often nerves that you can plug into. And in this case, I'll get into some of the technical issues there, where a nerve is, an existing nerve is cut down and a graft is attached to it to reach the recipient nerve that lies underneath the flap itself. So the nerve graft is basically an extension cord to reconnect a couple of sensory nerves. Uh, so my concerns about about the way that it is migrating through the internet and the literature and websites and even promotional efforts is that we don't have a, a, a high quality scientific platform from which we can say this is doing anything. And I'll give you some reasons for that in a moment. My, my bigger concerns relate to the fact that there's probably little awareness that this isn't for women having reconstruction with implants, period. That was going to be my question because it sounds like, you know, you said somebody who had delayed reconstruction with an implant probably had the highest risk of sensation loss. So would this be a good candidate for them? But Clearly, it's not because you just said you can't use it with an implant. Right, because mm -hmm. only those with flat reconstructions are candidates for it because the nerves that are connected are nerves that are running into the flap tissue itself. A sensory nerve that comes with the transplanted fat is connected to a nerve in the breast pocket and the extension cord to do it is the resensation avance nerve graph made by oxygen. So there's nothing to plug a nerve into in an implant reconstruction because an implant is an implant, right? Oh, I see. Okay, there's, got it. There's, no, there's, nothing, there's nothing to feed the nerve into to allow it to migrate and grow, grow through the, the composite of material. As you're aware, in the United States, among the 101,000 or 106,000 year-to-year variation of women that had breast reconstruction, 82% were done with implants. And this procedure is generally only offered to women having deep flaps, D-I-E-P flaps. So that means that only a tiny subset of women are actually eligible to even consider choosing this uh, whether it works or not. 
Uh, we know that 9,500 deep flaps were done uh, last year of the 101 plus thousand women, or 101 plus thousand reconstructions. Uh, two thirds of those or so were bilateral. So, so the number of women who might have been able to choose it is around 6,400 or so of the 325,000 women diagnosed with invasive or pre-invasive cancer on an annual basis. Yeah, that's a very um, small percentage that might be eligible. My, my next layer of concern is more on the scientific side, the anatomic side, and the physiologic side. So we have to kind of do a little Bill Nye, the science guy moment and, and talk a little bit about nerves, how they heal, what we do and we don't know about their repair, uh, and how that applies to this whole idea, why it might or might not work. And and whether any or some of the claims being made are implied, probably more importantly, uh, are real or not. We talked earlier about the impact of uh, delayed versus uh, immediate reconstruction, preserving your skin, the skin envelope, and even the nipple with nipple sparing mastectomy and what those things mean for the setup. Um, those, those concepts are important uh, for how this idea fits into the bigger picture. As I mentioned earlier, in immediate reconstruction, we preserve the envelope. Uh, to do the resensation nerve connection, most surgeons are cutting down what's called the third intercostal nerve, which is a nerve that supplies the skin over the area extending from the sternum and across the middle and the top of the breast, and sometimes maybe even part of the nipple. That's the nerve that's being cut so that the graft can be connected to it, and then the graft would be connected to the nerve and the flap. Um, interestingly, that nerve is often partly still intact to that preserved breast skin. So if we, if we cut it down, we may be taking sensation away from outer breast skin and rerouting it under the flap with a graft, which again, you can think of as an extension cord, because the nerve, the third intercostal and the, nerve and the flap nerve are usually too far apart just to put together by themselves. We then connect all that together with this, what I describe as a kind of a wet noodle, this graft. It's four or five centimeters in length. And then we wait because, as I mentioned, nerves regrow at about one millimeter a day. And since the distance from the cut nerve, the third intercostal, the added graft, and the distance that the flap nerve has to regenerate through its own substance may be 12 centimeters or so. So we would expect zero, zero zilch for 120 days mm -hmm. as this process continues. The only thing we might experience is numbness where the third intercostal was cut down. But in the meantime, in this 120 days, all the internal layers in the new breast have healed internally and scarred together. We know that grafts, when we repair nerves, perform less well than when we connect two nerves back together directly. This is again because of that added distance that I mentioned and the fact that nerves grow slowly. And it's because we have two suture lines in the nerve repair, one at each end of the graft, rather than a single nice. nerve put back together. I see, okay. Neuroscience tells us that across every suture line, we can expect about 50% of the little axons to fail to make it through. 
because they're sort of like little tiny wires growing in different directions and they don't always make it to the next, the other side of the repair. So and the, the axon is like a little nerve hair. Is that right? It's like right. like a fiber in the yes. in the nerve cable to be use an analogy. It's, exactly. It's the okay. regenerating. It's the regenerating wiring of our nerve, our nervous system. And I always describe it to patients. Think about a, a fence in your backyard, and you you cut a piece of ivy or whatever uh, you have back there, and then that that ivy migrates down the fence and somehow it sort of finds its way down the fence. That's a lot like what an axon or a nerve fiber does as it's trying to heal. It tends to migrate through different tissues, in this case, this suture line. So if 50% are impeded on the first line, we'd expect another 50%. So maybe, maybe 25% would make it through. We also know in graft surgery, this comes from the upper extremity literature that I mentioned earlier, hands and arms, that grafts longer than two or three centimeters often do very little to nothing to improve function because the little Schwann cells, this is some more medical terminology, these are the little cells in our nervous system that help guide those fibers. After about two centimeters, they sort of peter out through a graft. They lose their way. It's called a bunger band for anybody who's a sort of a, <laughs> a, a technical junkie in the audience. Um, but, but we know that from all of the work that's been done. The more of a graft you put, the less you can expect from it. Here's something that's, we're going to go into the 400 level of my Bill <laughs> Nye, the science guy talk now, but it's important, it's important sure. for the okay. audience to, 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 to have these ideas in their mind because it'll make it easier for them to understand. Let's say that all of that nerve repair science doesn't hold true and that the connection works like a charm from this intercostal through the graft into the flap and finally makes these little re regenerating fibers reach the surface of the flap. Well, now we have another point, actually two, another problem, two, two problems actually at that point. One, one of them was elegantly described by what's regarded as the godfather of nerve surgery, Dr. Lee Dellen who said in his relative ease of reinnervation hypothesis that reinnervation or nerve growth or in this case what we're calling resensation as it's been branded depends on the regenerating nerve reaching what's called a sensory organ in the skin the body is a remarkable and miraculous thing and in our skin, we have what are called touch organs, which are tiny little structures that allow us to sense vibration, temperature, uh, light touch, two-point discrimination. And they're in, in the layers of the skin itself. And the one that we're interested in talking about in this case is the Meissner's corpuscle, is it's concerned mostly with light touch. There are other ones called Piscinium, Merkel, and so forth. And lastly, and most importantly, there are also free nerve endings. And those are pain fibers. Those pick up pain stimulus. They don't touch a sensory organ. They goes right into the dermis. And when they're activated, it hurts. So when we put a flap in under your own skin in a nipple sparing or skin sparing mastectomy, we shave away that flap's skin. And so we shave away these little 
corpuscles or these little sensory organs along with that flap skin if we throw it away so that we can close your own natural skin over the flap. That then leaves, if all of this works miraculously well, this new little regenerating nerve reaching the surface of the flap internally, likely without a receptor to connect to, and so then it becomes a free nerve ending. As I Meaning it's earlier. only gonna feel pain. Is it's that a right? pain fiber. Right. It's a pain uh, fiber. It's the same kind, it's the same set of things that causes post-mastectomy pain syndrome and neuromas, trigger okay. points, as they're sometimes called. So for that free nerve ending to then jump across the surface of the flap through the overlying scar tissue, the fat under your preserved skin, and then migrate into the undersurface of your preserved breast skin into its surface, or even more unlikely into a preserved nipple, anatomy and nerve physiology tell us that everything weighs heavily against it. It's like putting on a glove and telling you that by restoring sensation to your fingertip, I'm also going to give the glove itself touch sensation. It, it ain't going to happen. Anyone who's sat through a neuroanatomy course knows everything I'm telling you. Could say, well, okay, that makes sense. Well, why don't we just cut away some of the breast skin and, and bring that internal flap skin to the outside so that if there's some regeneration, we then might have a chance to feel it. My opinion is that we should not cut away the nipple or a patch of skin to bring the flap to the outside because, as we mentioned earlier, we already know there are a lot of remaining nerves in that breast skin that are going to wake up and regenerate spontaneously. And if we've done a high-quality mastectomy, we can, we can expect that there will be some spontaneous return to throw that away for the opportunity for this long, winding graph to do something confounding wouldn't make much sense, not to mention the fact that cutting away the breast skin and replacing the flap skin kind of uglies things up. I by no means uh, want to uh, have the substance of our conversation be one where um, I, I'm a Debbie Downer or you know, I'm, I'm, I'm against research in this area, or, which is absolutely not true. And I'll tell you later about how I, I believe this should be uh, further studied. And I believe it is terribly important to bring this topic up. As I mentioned before in a New York Times article a couple of years ago, I was quoted as calling it the holy grail of breast mm -hmm. reconstruction. And I do believe that, you know, we've come a long way with all of what we do. We can produce beautiful aesthetic results, but if there's a way that we can improve sensation as a component of that, we ought to be thinking about it. And a lot of that has to do now with how mastectomies are done. So we touched a lot on that. What we, what we don't know relative to this resensation issue is whether, whether we may be actually doing harm in some cases. And the fact that we decided to sell it before studying it adequately leaves it unclear. But, but one thing we didn't talk about is whether this has some opportunity to do some good in delayed reconstructions, mm -hmm. where we're bringing a big new skin patch in. Most of all of what we talked about was related to immediate reconstruction. For delayed reconstruction patients, there may be some differences. These women have lost all of their breast skin. And although we know natural tissue can do a lot to help 
sensation returns spontaneously in those women, they still often suffer with significant numbness in the transplanted flap skin. I do believe, as I've mentioned, the nerve graft has an incredibly low chance of doing much for all the reasons we just went over. But if it does have the opportunity to improve flap sensation, then this would be the place where we should look at it first. I would love to see uh, something show improvement there because I think there's real opportunity for material benefit in those cases. So do we know, Tom, my understanding is that using a nerve graft like this increases the cost of the reconstruction. And do we know, is that covered by insurance? Uh, the great majority of insurers do not cover it. And if they do, it's probably a whoops. It probably slipped through their system because it's, re it's regarded as experimental. And as you probably well know, insurers um, often aren't inclined to support someone else's experiment. It's kind of mm -hmm. not their job, uh, mm -hmm. as we mentioned earlier. Um, and so there are impediments to access that result from that. The other things that are impediments to its use and its access and research and so forth is that it's not approved by the FDA. Interesting. I, you know what, that didn't even occur to me. I guess I just assumed that it was because it was being marketed. That's my bad. I should have uh, looked that up. Well, yeah, this became an issue of great concern when we had our hearings in Washington last March uh, uh, 2019 on the implant, breast implants, remember? And there right, was some, breast implant illness, yes. Right, they were early, early concern because imp implants weren't approved by the FDA until they were on the market some 20 years. Right. Um, but um, during that course of hearings, a dermal matrix was also brought up because, and that's the, that's the collagen sheet that we use mm -hmm. to do immediate implant reconstruction. It was brought up in those hearings because it had what's called an HCT slash P categorization, human connective tissue, or the okay. abbreviations, um, and, and, a, and a homologous designation, which meant that it fit under the FDA's 21 CFR Part 1271 regulation requirement. What did all that mean? It, it, it meant that they had the special ability to use it if it was deemed homologous, which means like repairing like, so that they could sell and promote it. The, the FDA said this is not a homologous use, this dermal matrix, when we use it in the breast. So you're not allowed to promote it, to make sales calls on breast surgeons, to create pamphlets or do anything else that markets this as a component of breast reconstruction surgeries until you do what are and were called uh, pre-release studies on it. So now these, these dermal matrix uh, companies are having to go back and do uh, pre-market approval studies to regain their opportunity to market it for use in breast reconstruction. In the meantime, surgeons are still using it in the breast. However, it's considered an off-label use. This Avance nerve graft may well fall into the same issue 
that the dermal matrix companies did because it also is sold under the HCTP categorization and, man, and, and regulated with the FDA's 21 CFR blah, blah, blah thing that I mentioned earlier. So we talked about a lot of things. <laughs> a lot of it was technical. And I guess the bottom line in my viewpoint is there is this, we know that loss of sensation is an issue for women who have mastectomy and breast reconstruction. In many cases, sensation does come back, but it can take a while where it's not clear whether this nerve graft may help. We don't, it doesn't seem like the research is there yet. So to my mind, the bottom line is we kind of have to wait and see. What would your bottom line be? I, I agree. I think that to, to wrap up some takeaways um, for our listeners, what should we be, we be doing at this point? What should we not be doing? Mm-hmm. What can we expect in the future? Um, I think we ab- absolutely should be studying this issue. I, I think all, all of this being brought into the forefront is great because it opens the dialogue and it, it stimulates thinking minds to, to contemplate solutions. So I think the study of it is important. Um, with, with the technology in hand, that, that means, I think, looking up at it principally for those who can't have immediate reconstruction and going from there. Again, it may have a place in delayed flat reconstructions, uh, as, we, as we mentioned. Um, the expense is tremendous. It, it would be great if the company would find a way to make it more affordable. It shouldn't be an opportunity uh, just for those with significant means. I mean, right now, Medicare patients are priced completely out. Uh, we, we, we have to consider that. Maybe the graft and the nerve repairs have some role in all of that at some point, but it's not ready for prime time yet. Okay. That is a very good summary. I want to thank you so much for explaining all of this and talking about the need for research and making it understandable. I We all really appreciate your insights. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for listening to the breastcancer.org podcast. Please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. To share your thoughts about this or any episode, email us at podcast at breastcancer.org or leave feedback on the podcast episode landing page on our website. And remember, you can find a lot more information about breast cancer at breastcancer.org. And you can connect with thousands of people affected by breast cancer by joining our online community.